Good morning. If you would, grab a Bible. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew 21. We'll be starting in that place in just a minute. Matthew chapter 21. Good to see everybody this morning. Uh, This is our Q&A morning. So, for those who are visiting with us, I just always like to say, kind of give an explanation of what we're doing so you know what's going on. Uh, But what we're doing is there are questions that uh, some people, some members here, have already uh, submitted to me. I guess it's not always members here. Sometimes people ask me questions that are visiting. Uh, But uh, the uh, questions then I I take and study through and give an answer, and that's going to be what I do this morning. So it's not really an open Q&A where we're going to talk back and forth, or as I like to say, it's not a press conference uh, where you're going to quiz me on my answers, at least not publicly. And, uh, but uh, what we're going to do, if, if you have a question about the Bible or something that you feel like would be benefited by us touching on, uh, submit that to me. Give me uh, something written or an email or a text message, something that I can have a record of, and, uh, and I'll get to that as soon as I can. I want to keep encouraging questions uh, all the time. Uh, what, let's see, what we have this morning is uh, really just one question, but it is a two-part question, and it's a tough question. Uh, This is the question that I received. Uh, Can we pray for anything and expect it to happen? Are there things that we should not pray for? All right, so you've kind of got two different ideas, but you can see how they go together. And I need to share a little background on this question because the person who shared this question with me gave me more information that I thought was helpful in how I tried to uh, frame and understand and answer this question. Uh, The person who asked this question says that they have a person in their family with some intellectual and developmental disabilities. And someone told them that if they had more faith and prayed more, that those disabilities would go away. And so the question is, is that something that should happen? That we can just pray for anything, even something like that, that's a a fundamental part of someone's personality. Uh, Is that what we should be praying for? Or are there limits to what we pray for? Are there things we should not pray for? And so this person is wondering what's the proper response to that kind of thinking. So uh, that's something that I want us to take some time to look through, and it's going to take up the whole of our time this morning. Uh, We're not going to be able to get into any other questions uh, this morning. All right, Matthew 21 and verse 18 is where I want to begin in terms of a biblical answer uh, to some of this. Matthew 21 and verse 18, it says, In the morning as he, this is Jesus, was returning to the city, he became hungry, and seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, May no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. When the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. So he says, If you have faith, in verse 21, and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but you'll also be able to boss the mountains around. Tell the mountain to go over here, go over here, uh, be thrown into the sea. Uh, So then in verse 22, you have uh, tied to faith this really open-ended statement from Jesus, whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. So Jesus is certainly putting a high premium on faith. He is saying believing is the key, and I want you to believe, and if you have faith, you can do the kind of things that I can do. Now, I don't believe that what he is saying here is just all miraculous power is open to everyone all the time, but we'll talk more about that in a minute. I'll just say Jesus is obviously connecting prayer, faith, and amazing things that God can do. All right, so uh, the challenge there is for us to pray bigger prayers 
and to say, well, I can ask God for things that might seem outrageous or outside the norm and expect God to come through if I believe. Go back to Matthew 17 now. There's kind of a a parallel passage, not really parallel, but a complementary passage to this. Matthew chapter 17. So in this section, there is a a man who has a demon-possessed son, and the disciples can't cast out the demon, and uh, Jesus comes and casts him out. Verse 19, the disciples came to Jesus privately. I'm in Matthew 17, 19. The disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? He said to them, because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to the mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. So Jesus is both advocating faith and criticizing their little faith. The point is, you don't need supersized faith for God to use you. You notice what he said about faith. If you have faith like a mustard seed, which is something that Jesus seems to use a lot to talk about something very small, if you just have the smallest measure of faith, then God can do amazing things through you. Now, I believe what Jesus is pushing back against is the the tendency we have to limit the purview of what God can do. God only does certain things and only can do certain things. And we don't mean when we say that God's incapable of doing certain things. What we mean more practically is God's unwilling to do certain things. So you got those two statements. And I think they have to be a part of the discussion of this kind of topic. Can we just pray for anything? Because Jesus certainly does seem to be open-ended about what he is offering in terms of prayer as long as we believe. But it seems to me to be irresponsible to take what Jesus is saying in these two passages, and there are a few others that talk about Jesus saying, ask and receive, and just say, well, those are blank checks. You know, you just fill in what you need and believe it, and God is going to do it, as if God is somehow obligated to do that. Now, I say I believe it's irresponsible. That is not because I believe God's power is in any way limited or because I'm trying to put God in a box. It's because if we ask for things that are outrageous or that are outside the purview of what God's will is or God decides differently than what we want and we assume that we're going to have them because of these promises and because we're believing, then it's going to have an impact on us emotionally and spiritually that we're going to be disappointed and disillusioned and doubting of ourselves and perhaps even doubting of God. And I'm not sure that's what Jesus is trying to get us to do, is to say, just whatever you might want, fanciest car, you just go for it. Just ask. And whatever you have, whatever you need, whatever you can imagine, God's going to do for you as long as you believe enough. And it appears to me that I would be irresponsible if I encouraged God's people to just say, just blank check. That's what these promises are, are the promise that these things are, statements are making. So, having said that, I want to really emphasize the fact that there is, in the Gospels especially, a link between faith and prayer, faith and power, and faith and miracles. That faith is a key component. When God does something amazing, usually there is a tie between that amazing thing and faith. So, he says that here, we're in Matthew 17, verse 19, why could we not cast it out? And Jesus says, because of your little faith, you couldn't cast out the demon because you don't have enough faith as the person casting out the demons. But sometimes it's not about the person trying to do the miracle. In fact, usually it's not because it's usually Jesus. Usually the tie of faith and the miracle has to do with the person whom the healing is performed on, the person needing to have sufficient faith for that miracle to be performed. Let's go to Mark chapter 6 
in Mark 6. You see this tie between faith and the power of miracles here. This is where Jesus goes back home to Nazareth in Mark chapter 6. And this statement is made in Mark 6 and verse 5. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. So you notice the tie there. It says he could do no mighty work there. And the tie is because of their unbelief. He was amazed at their unbelief. And that is the connection to why he could do no mighty work there. Now, I understand that that kind of sounds weird. Mark's language is kind of weird, right? He could do no mighty work there as if Jesus, you know, well, it's my kryptonite. If you don't have any faith, I can't do anything anymore. And that's kind of strange. It's a strange picture. Matthew's account has this of this same passage. He did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. And I think that kind of ties it together in a way that's a little easier for us to process. Just the idea, they didn't believe, so Jesus didn't do many mighty works in that place. He healed a few people, but it appears that that lack of faith kept him from doing something show-stopping. Instead, he just had, please pardon this phrase, minor miracles, okay? Just smaller things, but no mighty works, okay, is what Mark says. So, there's no faith there. And if there's no faith, continuing to do miracles would be counterproductive, not as fruitful as it would be in a place where there was faith. In fact, though, Jesus makes this very clear that the problem is never with his power. And I really want to emphasize that because sometimes when we talk about this, people will talk about you're limiting God, you're putting God in a box. And Jesus makes it very clear the problem is not that God can't do something. Let's go to Mark 9. I think this makes it really clear that Jesus is putting the emphasis on the faith of the person and not on his own power. Mark chapter 9 and verse 21, this is that scene of the father with the son that has an unclean spirit or a demon. But this has a little more detail in Mark's account. Mark 9 and 21, and Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood, and has often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Time out. Do you see that? Verse 22. If you can do anything. Okay, it's kind of like what you tell the doctor. You know, is there anything you can do? Is there anything that we can do? And Jesus, in verse 23, Jesus said to him, if you can, now my version, the ESV, has that as sort of a sarcastic statement. If you can do anything, who do you think you're talking to? If you can. And then he says in verse 23, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. But See what Jesus is doing. He's saying, the problem is not with me. The problem is in your ability to trust me. That's what's going to limit this miracle. And he says, well, I do believe, but help my unbelief. There is also this statement in Acts 14 and verse 9. Paul, looking intently at him, this is a man who was lame, uh, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well. Isn't that an interesting idea? He looks at him and he sees not the physical condition, but he sees that he has faith to be healed. But it, it underscores the fact that these healings happen because the person is willing to believe. But, having said all of that about faith and miracles, that relationship between faith and miracles is not always the same. Sometimes there is no faith at all. Anybody remember Lazarus? Lazarus was dead. Okay? It's not that Lazarus believed so much. He was dead that he came back from the dead. 
The uh, lame man at the pool of Bethesda, we studied this in our men's class on Thursday, the, the man in John 5. It says nothing about his faith. It says nothing. He doesn't even know who Jesus is. He just asks the question, do you want to be made well? And he doesn't even answer yes. He just says, I can't get in the pool. Jesus heals him, but there's no indication that there's any faith. Sometimes miracles, please hear me, sometimes miracles produce faith rather than being contingent on faith. Very often this happens in the Gospel of John where Jesus is going to turn water into wine and it says, then the disciples believed in him. And over and over these miracles are presented as a basis for faith rather than just being contingent on faith. In fact, John will say, there are many other signs Jesus did, but these are written so that you may believe. These signs produce faith instead of being contingent on faith. So we can't just say that miracles and faith are always, you got to have the faith to have the miracle. Now, this is poorly understood. I'm going to try to emphasize why this is important. This is poorly understood by people who believe that the spiritual gifts of the New Testament era continue today, especially the healing gifts, because they will say that men still have the power to heal other people in this way, okay, by touch or by a word like Jesus did. And yet when that doesn't happen, what they will say is, you just don't have enough faith. I remember very distinctly, uh, I was on a radio program several years back with a brother whose dad had died. And he challenged the people in the area he had been discussing with about spiritual gifts. He said, I want you to come with me to the cemetery and raise my dad from the dead. And these men would say, yes, well, we have the power to do that, but you don't have the faith. And you see the, the problem here. They, they begin to say, well, faith is the issue. I don't know if you all have seen, uh, there's a, a story that's gone viral over the last couple of weeks about a snake handling preacher who was bitten by a poisonous snake. I think it was a rattler. And his father has been bitten several. He's a fourth-generation snake handling preacher. I'm not a snake handling preacher, by the way. I'm a preacher, but I'm, I'm as much the opposite of that as I could be. But um, when you ask the snake handling preachers, well, why, why were you bitten? His father, who was bitten, had part of his finger taken off by a snake and then eventually died from a snake bite at 42 years old. And now the, the son has been bitten. I think this was like his sixth time. And, and what was amazing about the article is, is you can see his blood-soaked clothes while he's been bitten. He's still preaching. They had to take him to the hospital. And, and when you ask them, well, why were you bitten? They will say, it was because I did something wrong or it was because I had a lack of faith in that moment. God was testing me. And I believe this is a, a poor understanding of the idea of how God works and the connection between faith and God doing something. So, I'm getting there, I'm getting there, okay? We're working our way there uh, to answering this question. So there's a relationship between faith and miracles. But I need to stop and say something here about miracles because I believe we're really careless about the way we throw around the word miracle. We got our miracle whip and our miracle grow we will say it's a miracle when one football team beats another football team. We use that word a lot, and we don't think a lot about what it means. So, please hear me well. I'm going to say these things, and I want you to hear me. I do believe that miracles have ceased in the sense of God empowering a man to heal with words and touches, or to turn water into wine, or to cause a storm to stop with a word. I don't believe that persists today. I don't believe men have that power today. But I do not believe that miracles have ceased 
in the sense that God does not still suspend the laws of nature at the request of his people. That God does not still do things that we ask him to do. That is why we pray. And that is why we pray when medical science tells us there's no reason to hope. That is why we pray when meteorology says this won't happen. We keep praying because we believe God still acts. Now, you can call that a miracle, but if you do, you need to be careful about your turns. It's not a miracle in the sense that Jesus performed miracles, but it's also a lot different from miracle whip and miracle grow. I think it's important that we say that. Now, what we need to acknowledge is that there are some limits to our prayers and what we expect God to do. I think we understand this anyway, even if we don't articulate it. Usually, we assume that death is a line God is not going to cross. So what do we do? When somebody is sick, we pray, and we pray, and we pray. What do we do when someone dies? We don't pray anymore, do we? We don't ask God to bring them back. Is that because God can't do that? No, we know God can do that. But it's because we assume that there are limits to what we're going to pray for, that God's not going to cross that line. And so, at that stage, we say, well, this is God's will. We're going to let that go, and we're going to pray for the comfort of the families who have lost someone. So we learn to accept it when there are decisions that are made, even if they're not what we would like. And then there are some extremely severe and seemingly permanent ailments like paralysis or amputation or deafness. And it's not that God can't fix those things. Some of those he fixed while Jesus was walking on the earth. It's just that there seem to be some lines that God is unlikely to cross. That just appears to be the way that God is going to run his universe. So here's where we encounter another difficult part of this question. Can we pray for anything and expect it to happen, or are there things we should not pray for? Well, we want to encourage each other to faith, and particularly as a teacher of the gospel, I want to encourage people to trust God and to reach out in faith. That's, that's my job. But I don't want to encourage people to keep asking God to do things God won't do. Because all we're doing there is setting ourselves up for disappointment and failure. And so we talk sometimes about God saying no. I know of three prominent biblical examples of God telling people no when they prayed for things that they truly wanted and believed were best. One is King David. David has a child with Bathsheba, and the child becomes sick. David prays for the child. He prays for the child and prays for the child. He fasts, and the child dies. And do you remember what David says? He says, I wrote it down, Can I bring him back again when the child dies? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. Is that just because David didn't have much faith? No. No, that is David hearing from God, the answer is no. And David learns to accept it. That is a statement of acceptance. He gets up and he eats food again and he says, this is God's will. I will go to him, but he won't come back. The second is Jesus. Jesus prays repeatedly for God to take the cup away from him. I believe the cup, when Jesus prays in the Garden of Gethsemane, is the suffering he's going to go through on the cross. 
And he asked God, essentially, this is my paraphrase, if there is another way for us to accomplish your plan and your purposes without me suffering the way I'm going to suffer, take it away, make it happen. But, and you know that the Bible actually teaches, Hebrews says this clearly, that God heard him because of his godly fear. The answer was still no. And Jesus seems to anticipate that. Do you remember what he, how he ends his prayer? He says, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. So what we're seeing there is, is Jesus asking for something? Yes, he's asking. And I do believe he's asking, and I believe the answer from the Father is no. And Jesus accepts it. He does not say, oh, well, let's, let's go through another round. Maybe I need to pray more persistently. Maybe I just need to have more faith. I mean, this is Jesus. Instead, it's about accepting the no of God. And the third example is Paul, who three times asked Jesus to remove his thorn in the flesh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And each time he receives the answer, or at least he receives the answer, I'm not sure if it's each time. He receives the answer from Jesus, my grace is sufficient for you. You have what you need. The thorn is going to stay. Now, it would be easy for Paul to say, oh, well, let's just, let's keep praying. Let's keep praying. But instead, Paul learns to accept the no. In fact, 2 Corinthians 12 is about how he learns to rejoice in his infirmities because they demonstrate the power and the glory and the, the strength of Jesus. He accepts the no. So those three examples are powerful to me because what they say is there are people who ask for things that we might say are reasonable and well within the power of God. They are great men. They are men of faith. It's not a faith deficiency. It is simply that God had a different plan in mind. I think we could say God's will was right, and they had to learn to adjust to God's will. They accepted the no of God. Those examples are important to me precisely because of the fact that these are some of the ones telling us to keep asking God, telling us to pray, telling us, like Jesus does, to tell the mountain to move and be cast into the sea. So Jesus says, ask and receive. But we also need to learn that sometimes God's going to tell us no, and it's not necessarily due to any fault in us. That's not the, the lesson from these three men. I know David had some problems, and that led to the, the child being sick. But, but Jesus and Paul don't have any, this is a punishment from God aspect to what they're doing. So then the question becomes, don't worry, we're getting there. Then the question becomes, how do we know that God's telling us no? And that's a hard one. That's a hard one. Sometimes it's hard to know because there are a lot of passages that say you need to persist in prayer. You know, keep praying over and over again. Uh, the, the nagging widow in Luke 18 or the guy that the neighbor that won't go away in Luke 11. Jesus tells these stories, say, keep praying, don't lose heart, don't quit. And so, well, how do I tell the no from the not yet? How do I tell the no from the just keep trying? God will give it to you eventually. Well, it seems to me that there are some realities of life that are answers to the question of what we pray for. There are some things that are the way they are. And it's not because we don't have enough faith. It's because God has decided he's not going to change them. Now, there is a value and beauty in accepting 
the know of God. God knows best. He's heard what I think and what I need. And this is the way he's decided it's going to be. So it seems to me that sometimes the circumstances of life are their own answer to the question of whether God is saying no to us. Now, there's a lot more we could say about that. And there are some specifics that I really don't have time to get into this morning. But I would just say, I think there is an importance in us being able to look at, well, I've been praying for this and praying for this, and nothing is changing and nothing is happening over a long period of time. Maybe, maybe this is just a no. And maybe I need to decide that this is something that I need to quit going to God about and accept as a reality of the world he's made. So, are there things we should not pray for? I think there's an obvious yes to that. Um, Obviously, things that are against God's will, meaning God's revealed will in the Bible, uh, we shouldn't be praying for that. And then there are some things that, like I've said, we need to accept not because God can't change them, but because the reality of, of our circumstances shows he will not. But I need to say this. We need to be very careful about blaming people for things that are not their fault. Do you guys remember Job's friends? Job's friends approached Job, and their goal was to comfort him. At least that's what they said. And they get there, and they sit with Job for a week. And then they finally start talking, and everything goes to pieces. It's just a disaster because they begin by saying, Job, what did you do wrong? Why are you suffering? It's because you deserve it. And and Job says at one point, miserable comforters you are. A lot of good you're doing me. All you're doing is accusing me. You're not helping me. It appears to me that very often when people are struggling and hurting, that we are careless with our words. Like Job's friends, we're trying to help, but instead we harm. And it seems to me that one of the most painful things we can do to another human is to work to convince them that some tragedy in their lives is their own fault. I'm not sure what could be more painful. It appears to me that we need to learn that unless someone we can show directly a consequence of their own sin is the reason they're in, the situation they're in, that we need to be very careful about blaming them. Physical ailments are the result of sin in the world. We all deal with it. Not necessarily because we've sinned and it's a result of our sin, although we certainly have done our part in sinning, but because that is the way the world works at the present time. And to lay some problem like that at the feet of a believer in Jesus and say it's because your faith is not strong enough is cruel in my view. Now, I want to encourage people to faith and, and to prayer, but I need to have eyes open to the reality I can end up falsely accusing somebody. And I need to remember that Job's friends would have been better to just be quiet. And if all you can do is be quiet, better than saying something like that. So, I think I've got that off my chest. We need to balance the expectation that we freely and repeatedly ask God for the things that we need with the fact that sometimes the answer is no. So can we pray for anything and expect it to happen? 
only if you have those two parameters. God wants you to ask. But God's going to say no when he decides it's not best. And I want to encourage our people to keep praying. I don't want anything I've said this morning to discourage you from asking God for things, even really big things. Even things that you might say, well, I'm not sure that that would happen. Because I believe Jesus is encouraging to that. Especially, I want to encourage you to pray for big things, for changes. For changes in our country, for changes in people's hearts, for people to move and shift for the world and the dangers we see in the world. Keep praying about those things. Keep praying about this local church and the things that are going on here. Keep praying for our leadership. Keep praying big prayers that have a vision to them that says, I want to accomplish what God wants to accomplish here and in my workplace and in my home. Keep praying big prayers. But let's not be in denial about how things are. Things are the way they are. And we need to learn to accept God's answers instead of saying, well, it must be my fault that things are the way they are. God is going to run the universe in the way that is best, and it may be our job to accept that. All right, well, that's all I've got this morning. Thank you. Keep asking questions, and uh, we'll be dismissed at this time for our uh, classes.